0: Come around the time of the Word this morning so you can go on ahead, take out your Bible apps, take out your Bibles, uh, your Bible sermon notes. Uh, We're gonna get into the Word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you were doing here in the room. And God, we thank you, Lord, that as we come around your Word, God, we humble ourselves and bring ourselves under the authority of your Word. God, we cherish your Word, we love your Word, and we pray, God, that you would speak to us, your servants are listening. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, someone asked me the other day, how are you? How are you doing in 2022? How has 2022 been for you? And I was actually quite stunned by this question because the truth is so much has happened this year. There have been incredible moments. There have been confronting moments. There have been mountaintops and there have been some valley lows. There have been some incredible wins this year, but there have also been some great challenges And yet in the midst of the challenges, I've come to realize that although I may not be in control of when, where, what, and how the challenges come about, I can control my response. We've all at some point in our lives have had to face some challenges. We're all born into a generational fight that we didn't choose. We've all had to face some giants in life. Some of us in the room right now are probably facing giants or being confronted with giants Right now, Giants aren't just some figment of our imagination. Giants aren't just something that we've dreamt up. Giants are pains, they are pressures, they are problems and persecutions that we've had or have to face from time to time in our lives. Giants, they cause major difficulty in our lives. And you'll find that these giants sometimes come with the possibility of some of the most life-threatening uh, threatening situations You see, a giant is anything that distracts us from our focus on God. A giant is anything that sends us on a detour from serving God. A giant is anything that drains us of our passion and our zeal for God. A giant represents anything that opposes God. And you may ask me today, okay, can you give me an example of one of the giants that one could face in their life? And I could give you a million examples. Yeah. There is the giant of resentment. There's the giant of fear. these the giant of unforgiveness. There's the giant of discouragement, the giant of worry, the giant of pride, doubt, selfishness. The list goes on. These giants not only distract us, detour us, they drain us of everything that God intends for us to be. And so it goes without saying, but these giants in front of us They must come down. Today, I wanna share a message that is simply titled, Face Your Giants. Turn to the person next to you and say, Face Your Giants. Be careful though, because they're not the giant. You're not trying to tell them that they're the giant. You're saying to them, Face Your Giants. I mean, you need to realize that the seasons in life where you've come face to face with a giant are nothing but a setup. It may look like these giants are piling themselves up one by one in front of you, But I came to tell you today that God is about to make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Come on now, I see that God is about to make the giants in front of you a footstool for your feet. But the question is, are you willing to face your giants? You've got to be willing to put up a fight because this fight is going to be the decider. This fight is going to be the big one. This fight is going to change your destiny. You're stepping into a paradigm shift. And it's a paradigm shift because everything is about to change as a result of this change. One thing can change everything. But I didn't get up to say any of that. Our message this morning is found in the text, 1 Samuel 17, 32 to 40. It's the story of David and Goliath. Oftentimes when we read the story of David and Goliath, we come away talking about the fight. We come away only talking about the fight. We come away talking about how David beat Goliath. Uh, But as you read the text, you'll find that of the 58 verses in this chapter, only one of the verses actually explains how David defeated uh, Goliath. But the author takes the time, 57 verses in fact, to express the preparation that David had been through, painting the picture of some of the things that uh, that he did before he even stepped into the ring for the fight. The author takes the time to let us know that this battle wasn't just between David and Goliath. This battle was between Israel, the people of God, and her age-old enemy, the Philistines. The author takes the time to let us know of a secret weapon that the Philistines had in this giant, Goliath. He was about three meters tall. He wore a bronze helmet, bronze armor protecting his chest and his legs. His chest armor weighed about 57 kgs. He had a spear so big that the spearhead alone weighed seven kgs. The author is taking the time to explain the challenge that this giant was putting out on the people of God. He's saying to the people of God, I'm the best soldier in this Philistine uh, Philistine army. Choose your best man to come out and fight me. If he kills me, my people will be your slaves. But if I kill him, your people will be my slaves." The author is taking the time to let us know that for 40 days, Goliath would challenge the people of Israel. There's great significance in the number 40 in the Bible. The number 40 is mentioned a total of 146 times in the Bible and when it's often uh, mentioned, it has to do with a time of testing. The number 40 is symbolic of a time of troubles, of probation, it's symbolic of a time of preparation. For 40 days and nights, we read that it rained before the earth flooded. For 40 days and nights, we read that Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving God's law. We read for 40 days, Jonah warned the people of Nineveh that its destruction was on its way. For 40 days, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil before his ministry began. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead. And in the story of David and Goliath, we read that the people of Israel are being challenged for 40 days. Goliath is constantly shouting at them for 40 days. Israel is constantly hiding for 40 days. But you see, it's after the 40 days of testing, the 40 days of trials, the 40 days of preparation that David, this little shepherd boy, then steps onto the scene. The author takes the time to let us know that David is being sent to take food to his brother's You see, David's father, Jesse had eight sons and three of his elder sons were out at the battlefront representing Israel. They were preparing to fight the Philistines. And so Jesse sends David, the baby of the family to take food for his three brothers. And so David is on his way. He doesn't know it yet, but he's about to step into a battle with Goliath. David wasn't going down there to fight Goliath. He's going down there to serve his brothers. He's going down there to bring them some lunch. And while he's down there, he hears of the challenges that Goliath constantly puts out to the people of Israel. And so he starts to rise up and say, who does this man think that he is making fun of the army of the living God? The author is taking the time to let us know of the exchange between David and the people around him. One of David's uh, brothers who was in the battle heard David talking to the soldiers. And so he pipes up and he says to David, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be over there on the field herding your sheep? Another soldier says the same thing to David. But now the word gets to the king about the shepherd boy. And so the king sends for David. And so everything that's been happening in the story up to this point has been in preparation for this moment right here where David is about to battle Goliath. Whether you are facing a giant or not, we can find encouragement to deal with some of life's giants as we look to some of the things that David did, some of the actions he took before bringing down the giant. Here's what the Bible says, 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 to 40. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed uh, killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. And then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armour on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. God bless the reading of his word. One of the very first things that David does before he even begins to battle Goliath is he speaks. David spoke. You see, not only did David's brother try to put him in his place, but we've got the king who was also speaking from a place of utmost defeat. You know, there's always that one person who tries to get in your business. You know, when you're about to do something great, something spectacular, something incredible, you'll find that there's always a one person who's quick to try to remind you of your place. That's what David's brother and the King Saul was doing. They said, what do you think you're doing here? Shouldn't you be out there, uh, you know, herding the sheep? They said, you can't fight Goliath. You're only a little kid. He's been a warrior since he was a youth. When you're about to do something great, there's always going to be the one person who will try to put you in your place talking about, you can't do that. Who are you to write a book? Who are you to release a song? Who are you to purchase that house? You can't apply for that job. You can't have kids. You can't be going to church. And the worst thing about it is that sometimes it's not even coming from the giant. It's coming from the same brother whom I'm trying to bring lunch for. It's coming from my own leader, my king, my mentor, my friend, who's supposed to be leading me and looking out for me. How can you be eating my lunch and talking against my destiny? How can you be my biggest cheerleader and at the same time talk against my destiny? And you see, what I love about this text is that we find that David didn't respond with just mere words. He didn't just speak empty words. His words were the words of someone who had more in him than what you saw. His words were the words of someone whose faith was not in the chariotry of Israel or the military power of Israel. His words were the words of someone who had seen the goodness of God. The words of someone who had seen the faithfulness of God in his life. They were the words of someone who knew what it meant to place your faith Not in man, but in God. He said, sir, I take care of my father's sheep. And when one of them is dragged off by a bear or a lion, I go after it and beat the animal until it lets go of the sheep. I've killed lions and bears that way, sir. And I can kill this giant too. The Lord has rescued me from the claws of lions and bears. And quite frankly, he can rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. That's what faith sounds like. That's what I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good sounds like. That's what courage sounds like. That's what facing your giant sounds like. When you face giants in life, how do you respond? How are you responding? Do you speak words of defeat or do you speak words of victory? Are you easily influenced by the lack of faith around you or does your response of faith shift the atmosphere? You see, when you are destined for greatness, you have to be careful that what you speak and confess is not being influenced by the environment around you. People will try to tell you that you couldn't possibly defeat that giant. There is no way that you could get that job. There is no way that you could purchase that house. There is no way that you could overcome that addiction. There is no way that you could forgive your family member for what they've done. There is no way that you could come back from that disease. There is no way that you could bear a child. There is no way that you can have a faith in God who you cannot see. Don't allow the disappointment and the fear and the doubt and the negativity of the people around you dictate your response to the giant that's in front of you. And you need to hear me good when I say that. It's not even a matter of positive talk. It's not even about having positive vibes and good vibes. It's not a matter of having a name, it, claim, it approach. No, it's a matter of faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When you face a giant in your life, speak. But don't just speak mere words. Speak words of faith. Speak words of life. Speak the Word of God. Proverbs 18:21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. It means that you can do a great deal of good or a great deal of hurt to others and yourself, depending on the words that you speak. When you face a giant, be careful that what you speak isn't going to do more harm than good. When you face a giant, fill your mouth with the Word of God, because if anything is gonna build your faith, it's the Word of God. So speak the Word of God. Number two, David took off. He didn't run off, he took off the armor. (laughs) Saul's only means of facing the giant was to try and match Goliath's energy. And so he places a coat of armor on David. He places a bronze helmet on his head. He fastens a sword on him. You know, ain't it funny how people will try to define you by what they need from you? I mean, if King Saul wanted to fight Goliath, he could have put the armor on himself and gone down to the battlefield. But the problem is he himself is afraid. And so he's trying to define David by what he needs from him. He needs David to be strong. He needs David to be the warrior that he himself couldn't be. The king figured that if this little boy is going to defeat Goliath, he's gonna need the best armor in all of Israel. He is seeing things through a natural lens. He's looking at things through the flesh. He's looking at things through the outwardly perspective. And so he's got David out here walking around in an armor that wasn't even built for David an armor that wasn't even designed to fit David's build and shape. And so in response, David says, I cannot go down in these because I'm not even used to them. And so David takes them off. You see, David knew very well that the armor, the military power and the human wisdom and strength wasn't going to win the battle. God was going to win the battle. And so he takes off the armor. David's confidence was not in his ability. He was no match for Goliath. David's confidence was not in the armour. He refused to wear man's clothing. David's confidence rested in the God who brought him through the past, the same God who was able to save him from wild animals. That is where the battle is won. Let me ask you this morning, where in your life are you relying on man's armour to win the battle? Where in your life are you putting on man's armor in order to try and win the battle? You are not going to defeat Goliath by trying to dress like him and act like him and look like him. Quit trying to face your giants with an armor that was not made for you. The victory of your battle is not in the armor. It's in the unfailing power of God. Quit relying on the armor of your bank account to defeat your giants. Quit relying on the armor of your physical strength to try and defeat your giants. Quit relying on the armor of your human wisdom to try and defeat your giants. You can't fight a spiritual battle clothed in carnal armor. You can't fight the giant of anger with the armor of addiction. Can't do it. You can't fight the giant of fear with the armor of control. Can't do it. You can't fight the giant of poverty with the armor of money. No, 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 no. You can't fight the giant of neglect with the armor of promiscuity. Can't do it. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. No, we're wrestling with principalities, wrestling with powers, wrestling with rulers and da- of the darkness of this world. We're wrestling with spiritual wickedness in high places. And so you can't be out on the battlefield fighting a spiritual fight with carnal armor. Here's what Ephesians 6:14-17 says: Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, in order for you to fully understand the armor of God in, in Ephesians chapter six, you need to understand what chapters one to five say, because the armor of God is not about a mystical experience. It's not about a secret prayer. It's not even about visualization techniques. The whole armor of God is the expression of your complete trust in God and what he's done for you through Jesus Christ. Therefore, putting on the armor of God is not asking God to make the battle stop. Putting on the armor of God is standing in the victory of Jesus on the cross and looking at the giant and saying, you've already been defeated. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you and say, it's been defeated. Yes, say it like you mean it. It's been defeated. (laughs) You see, after David took off the armor, here's the next thing he did. He gathered. 1 Samuel 17 verse 40 says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag and with a sling in his hand. David did exactly what he knew how to do. He started to gather his shepherd boy tools. He got his staff in his hand. He walked on down to the stream. He picked up five smooth stones. He put them in the shepherd's bag and he had a sling in his hand. David was okay to face his giants with what he had because he was trusting God to do the rest. You see what I'm really trying to help you see this morning church is that you will never face your giants until you realize that what you've got is enough. That is what living by faith boils down to. It's realizing that who I am and what I have is enough because God is going to do the rest. I don't need Israel's army to help me fight. That's okay. I don't need my brother to believe in me. I'm good. I don't need Saul's armor to fight with. You can keep that. I'm gonna use what I have because what I have is enough. And it's not even about what I have. It's about how I think, what I think about what I have. Because the truth is the staff, the smooth stones and the sling probably won't even defeat Goliath. But I must believe that what God has given me is enough to defeat my giants. Yes. Not because I'm banking on what I have to bring me the victory, but because I'm banking that when, I, when, when what I have fails, God will step in. What you have and who you are is enough because God is enough. Yes. His grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in weakness. Fourth and finally, if I can ask Ronnie to join me, the fourth thing that David did before he Brought down Goliath, is this David approached. 1 Samuel 17 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. At this point, David's brother has tried to put him in his place. The soldiers are cowering away in fear. Saul is busy trying to live vicariously through David. Goliath is running a mock out on the battlefield, and David is approaching the Philistine. There would have been hundreds of soldiers who would have had better and greater training to fight Goliath, but they're all out there responding to the giant's threats with paralyzing fear. They're stressed, they're anxious, they are frustrated. But David on the other hand, he doesn't even seem to be upset at all. The Bible says after grabbing his staff, picking up some stones and with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. That is the posture of somebody who is confident in the God that they serve. That's the posture of somebody who realizes that what they've got is enough. That's the posture of somebody who has faith that the God who led them into the battlefield is the same God who will lead them out alive. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but you need to know that believing in what you've got and who you are, go hand in hand with approach. Believing in the staff is not enough unless you use it. Believing in the stone is not enough unless you throw it. Faith without works is dead. You need to be prepared to approach the giant. You need to be prepared to throw the stone. You need to be prepared to wave the staff. Faith is the confidence that says, I'm going in with what I have because of who I've got. It's, the, it's living in the confidence that God is supremely faithful to keep His Word. It's living in the confidence that God is able. It's living in the confidence that God will provide. It's living in the confidence that God is a healer. And it's that confidence that enables me to take off the armor, walk on down to the stream, pick up five smooth stones, and begin to approach the giant. It's that confidence that enables me to pick up my pen and continue to write the book. It's that confidence that enables me to turn up to the office and hand in my notice. It's that confidence that enables me to pack up my home and move to where God is calling me. It's that uh, confidence that enables me to keep turning up, even if they don't pick me. It's that confidence that enables me to forgive over and over and over and over again even if they don't forgive me in return. It's time for you to approach. Here's what the end of that story says. 1 Samuel 17, 43 to 45. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 47 says, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. Verse 49 and 50 says, Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his faith to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. You know, as I conclude the message today, it can be real easy for me to say, you know, to every single person in the room, here's what you need to do. You need to speak in faith. You need to take off the carnal armor. You need to use what you've got. You need to approach the giant. Because the truth is, as we read the story, we're often tempted to point ourselves to David. We read a story like this and we find ourselves and we see ourselves in David, the champion of the story. And so then we're inspired to go into battle fighting against all the giants that have plagued our lives. But in doing so, we'll often find ourselves taking on a fight that's not even ours. And so we jump in, we start swinging, we start throwing hands. We're not even sure how this fight started, but we're in it and we're fighting. We're fighting a fight that's not ours. And I believe many of us right now are fighting a battle that's not even yours. And here's why. Because the battle is the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord. You see, I don't want you to, after hearing a message like this, come away thinking that we're called to be like David and conquer all the giants that come our way. You see, the message of our text this morning is not that we are called to be like David. The message of our text is that we have a David who went on down to the valley on our behalf, who stood in between us and every giant that was threatening to destroy us, who fought the battle on our behalf and conquered. Jesus is His name. He has not only won the battle, He has given us the victory. And so to every single person in the room this morning who has come up against a giant that's standing in between you and where you wanna be, I've got news for you. I came to tell you that there was one who spoke on your behalf. There was one who took off the armour on your behalf. There was one who gathered on your behalf. There was one who approached the giant on your behalf because the battle was never meant to be yours. The battle belongs to the Lord. But guess what's yours? The victory. (laughs) The victory is yours. But you got to choose today to fight on your knees. You can choose today to fight by trusting in the one who fought the battle on your behalf. You can choose today to fight by standing in the victory that Jesus went down to the valley to give for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed. We don't like to close our services without giving people an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I wanna, I wanna experience this victory. I wanna walk in this victory. How do I do that? You see, the truth is it begins with God, the God who created this entire universe because He's the same God who created you and me. And He created you on purpose for a purpose. He created you to know Him. He created you to come into loving fellowship with Him. But you see, the Bible talks about this thing that keeps us disconnected from God. There's this thing that's come in between us and God and that thing is called sin, sin. But also the Bible says that the penalty of sin, the consequence of sin is death. But you see, my friend, it didn't stop there because God in His grace, He sent His own Son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that you and I didn't have to pay that penalty and and pay for that consequence of sin. What happened to Jesus should have happened to us. The Bible says that Jesus died, but the good news is, is on the third day, He rose again. And so you know what? Right now, God is extending to every single one of us forgiveness for your past, a new life right now, and a hope for your future and eternal life with Him in heaven. In the same way that David is the champion of the story, Jesus is our champion. He is the man of the in-between. He stood between us and judgment, between us and death. But you see, we must turn away from sin, repent and put our trust, put our faith, put our hope and believe in Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if that's you today and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. If that's you, I'm going to count to three and I want you to raise your hand and then you can put it down straight away. You got no reason to be shy or afraid in here. Nobody in this church was born holy. We are all sinners who have been saved by grace. But we want you to know that we're right here for you and we've got your back. So if that's you and you're saying, yes, I want to give my heart to Jesus, I'm going to count to three. You can put your hand up and put it down again. One, God loves you. Two, he's speaking to your heart right now. Three, raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's one more thing I want you to do for me. I want you to repeat this prayer after me, but I need you to know this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saves you. This prayer is just an expression of you putting your your faith and your hope in Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I turn from my sins and choose to invite you into my heart and into my life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.